Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. just would love for us to uh, look together at Psalm 84 and then um, there's a response for us in light of everything else that's come already this morning and um, God really wants us to encounter him today and he uh, and not to say we haven't already but I I just believe God wants us to have a fresh desire for his presence and to be in his presence and he wants us to have a fresh hunger for that and a fresh thirst for that. Um, and so I just want to, to read from Psalm 84. And, and Psalm 84, if you have a look in your, in your Bibles, I'm sure it's got a little introductory part before verse 1, where it tells you who it's written by. The author of the psalm, well it does in mine anyway, it's a psalm of the descendants or the sons of Korah. And it's supposed to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. There you go. And it's for the choir, or the leader of the choir. And... Um, Korah um, is a, an interesting chap. We, we read about him in number 16, uh, about 500 years before the sons of Korah are writing this psalm. Korah himself is alive during the time of Moses. And it's in number 16 that Korah, who was a Kohathite, and the Kohathites were a, a clan in the Levite tribe, and he wasn't very happy with his job. He felt like he, was, he deserved better. And the thing about the, the, the Kohathites was they had this incredibly privileged job of carrying the interior of the tabernacle. So, you know, the place where God had chosen to presence himself was the, uh, was the, the, the heart of, of the nation of Israel, particularly when they're traveling through the wilderness. And their job was when, when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, depending on what time of day it was, moved, everybody would have to up sticks. They'd have to pack up the tabernacle pull down all the outer coverings, take down the framework, carry out all of the the special things that were in and around the tabernacle, and then they would follow this pillar of cloud or pillar of fire. I mean, we read that like, oh, that's what they did. But how awesome is that? That at night there's this huge pillar of fire that sits right in the heart of the camp. And during the day, this huge pillar of smoke, there was no question God was present among his people. And it may not... He may not present himself in the same way, but he's, he's done it in a much more powerful and significant way because he's in us and with us by his Holy Spirit. And so when the pillar of cloud would move, the Gershonites and the, um, what do they call them, Merorites, I think they were, and the Kohathites would all get together and they would start to dismantle the tabernacle. And outside the tabernacle, you'd have the basin, the bronze basin, where the priests would wash themselves, wash their hands and their feet and their face before they did the sacrifices and definitely needed to have a wash afterwards. And then there was an altar, bronze altar, where they would burn their sacrifices, whether they were uh, sacrifices of thanks or sacrifices of repentance and, and guilt offerings, whatever it was. And those sat outside the tabernacle, but they were in the courts of the tabernacle. And then the holy place was the place where the family of Aaron could go and minister. They would do the sacrifices and they would enter into the holy place. And so they'd walk into this tent. And if you're going to picture walking into this 
beautifully ornate marquee. <laughs> and in there is a golden table. It's acacia wood that's been covered and overlaid with, with, with this pure gold. And sitting on it are these 12 loaves of beautiful smelling bread. It's a good smell, isn't it? You know, if you want to sell a house, they say, don't they, to put some bread in the oven? Well, God knew how to make his house inviting. He still does. And there would be this showbread there that would represent sustenance for all of the people, for all of the tribes, for every person. In the house of God, in the presence of God, there's sustenance for all of us this morning. And then you'd have the golden lampstand, this seven-branched menorah that would burn and constantly illuminate that area. You know, God wants to bring us into his light. The Holy Spirit brings his light into our lives. And sometimes he'll highlight things that we need to repent of or deal with. And sometimes he'll um, reveal something new to us that we've never seen before of who Jesus is. He's the spirit of revelation. He, he clears our vision and we see something fresh. And so that was in there. And then you had the altar of incense, gold altar that was constantly burning with this pleasant smelling incense that God had particularly given them the ingredients for. If God's given you the ingredients for incense, you know it's going to be a good smell, don't you? It's heavenly inspired incense. They represented the prayers and, and the prayers that, that lifted up to God and please Him. When we gather into His presence, not only is it pleasing for us, but isn't this amazing? It pleases Him. Yes. He's done everything necessary to clear the way and enable us to enter into His presence. Why? Because He loves us to be in His presence. We're blessed. We have sustenance. We have illumination. But He's blessed by us being in His presence. Our worship, isn't it amazing? Our worship can please God's heart. Why would I hold back from pleasing God, the creator of heaven and earth? And then you go into the most, well, you wouldn't go into the most holy place because you'd die. But once a year, you could go into the most holy place, or one person could, the, the chief priest, where he would offer sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. And there was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top were these golden angels, these cherubim. One, one wing to heaven, one wing leaning forward like that, and God's presence would sit on the mercy seat. Without his mercy, he could never be present among us because he's so pure and so holy. But he's done everything that's necessary. And so can you imagine the task of carrying these items and all the implements that went alongside it, all the bowls and the dishes and the tongs and, and everything else? That's a privileged job, isn't it? But for Korah, that wasn't, he'd lost something of the awe of the presence of God. He'd lost something of the awe and the majesty of, of what his role was. He'd, he'd got used to it. And it didn't mean anything to him anymore in the same way. And as a result, he wanted something else. He wanted to be like Moses. He wanted to be Moses. He wanted to take over from Moses. And so he stands up with his 250 followers. And he says, it's time for me to be in charge now, Moses. If you've done your bit. It's time for you to move on. I'm in charge next. And, and Moses takes it to God. And God says, that's fine. Let's get some incense burning, and I'll make the decision. You know, Moses didn't put it up to a vote. He didn't bring it before the people, and he said, right, everybody with Korah say aye. Everybody with Moses say aye, aye. We're not a democracy. When God establishes leaders, when God establishes us, he does it as, because it's his, it's his will. 
And we recognize the grace and we recognize the goodness of God and we come under that, but, but it's, it's God who makes those decisions. He's superior. He's our spiritual authority, our ultimate authority. And sure enough, God judges. And for Korah and his family, the earth starts to shake underneath their feet. And Moses says, everybody near Korah and his family, move! And they all step back and the ground opens. And all of, their, all of his household and Korah drop into this chasm in the ground. And their tents and all their possessions go with them. God is an awesome God. That's the same God today who did that then. And there are some things I read about God's judgment and I scratch my head and I wonder and I think, would I have done it that way? And then I think, who am I to tell God what way I think things should have been done? I have been known to make the odd mistake. God has not. And so Korah is wiped out. His followers then are burnt up. God sends fire that consumes the 250 followers of Korah who've also burnt incense. And God brings a clear judgment. Moses is the man. And everybody says, we agree. <laughs> and then 500 years later on, here are the sons of Korah. You know, Richard mentioned earlier about certain ways that we look at ourselves, whether it's our past or even if it's the past that we've inherited from those who've gone before us that have influenced our lives. And God wants you to know you're not defined by your past and you're not defined by your parents and you're not defined by things that have been said about you. The sons of Korah were not defined by the rebellion of their forefather. They were those who loved being in the presence of God. And that's what this psalm is all about. And for us this morning, and I include myself in this, I, this fresh longing and yearning and desire for God's tangible presence to be known among us. Can you... Does anybody have that desire? There have been times when you've been in a, in a place of worship or in a context, and you've just known there's a weight of God's presence among us right now. And you can feel it. And it's tangible and... It's not, I know it's not all about feelings, but God wants us to love being in his presence because he loves us being in his presence. How lovely, verse one, is your dwelling place. Isn't that good news that his dwelling place is lovely? I think the sons of Korah were Welsh because that's a, that's a really, oh, it's lovely. Your dwelling place is lovely. Oh, Lord of heaven's armies. Well done, England, yesterday, by the way. Just put that out there. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. There's another psalm by the sons of Korah in Psalm 42. So divide 84 by 2 and you get 42. So 42 and 84, both psalms of the sons of Korah. And in that one, he says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs or yearns after you. There's something within the psalmist that is really his appetite and thirst to be in the presence of God is, is just, is, is so tangible, isn't it? I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Sarah and I went to see a stand-up comedian on, on Friday night. And um, he was good, but he was, had clearly had uh, challenges growing up in a Christian home. And it had made him quite resentful towards his Christian upbringing. And there were some things that he said that 
you could just tell there are certain things that have happened to him that he's been hurt by. And one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that to be a Christian is, is purely about being dour, being guilty, self-denial, not doing the things that you really want to do, doing the things that you really don't want to do. And all of the uh, tied up with, with religion and with law and legalism. And it's a lie of the enemy. Because the presence of God is what, is what we've been brought into. We've not been brought into an, an institution. When we're born again, we're brought into the presence of God. We're brought into his family. But we're able to enter into his throne room with boldness. And it's a lovely place. It's the place that we were created to be in. And I was thinking when this guy was talking, if only you really had a real relationship with Jesus Christ and you'd encountered him, then all of the other stuff would just begin to fall away. Because we, we get our perspective in the presence of God. And he says, O Lord, it says in my version, O Lord of heaven's armies, but I love the more original rendering, O Lord of hosts. Does anybody have that in your Bible? Lord of hosts, yeah? That represents not just heaven's armies, which is pretty awesome in, in itself that he's the Lord of heaven's armies. I mean, one angel can wipe out 185,000 Assyrian troops. So a myriad, I think we're in trouble if anything turned against us. But actually, he's the Lord of hosts of heaven and earth, of all of creation, of every star and, and, and every sun and every moon and everything is, is his. It's all his and the whole earth and, all, and everything belongs to him. He's the Lord of everything. And we can enter into the presence of that Lord. And as Stephen said at the beginning, know him as God. I long, yes, I faint with longing. Have you ever longed to be somewhere else? Hopefully not right now. <laughs> but have you ever been somewhere or going somewhere and you think, I really want to be there now? We went to the Isle of Man, I think it was last year, and we went for New Year, and on, I think it might have been the 1st of January or the 2nd of January, Sarah's mother said, right, we should go for a walk round the hills and the coastline of the Isle of Man to the Sound, which is a cafe near the Calf of Man. Sounded lovely. She said, only 20, 30-minute walk. <laughs> Isle of Man is beautiful. It's hilly. It's green. It's lush. Its coastline is, is amazing. But it is cold, and it is so windy. And so we're all walking like... There's, there's, we were like walking through the wilderness. It was like the tribes. So Sarah and I had our tribe, and Sarah's sister, and... My brother-in-law had, had her, their tribe, and her other brother had his tribe, and then there was Sarah's mum and her partner, and we're, we're, we're walking this 20 to 30-minute walk. And you're about 10 minutes in, and you think, we're all, we must be there now. We've been walking for an hour. And what happened was this. She definitely underestimated how far it was, because the whole walk was into the wind for a start, and it was way further And so, you know, you're about 15, 20 minutes in. Everybody's wondering where it's going to be. The children have started to cry. Some of the parents have started to cry. Those tears and everything else has frozen on their faces. And you're just desperate to get to this coffee shop. And never has a coffee shop been more appealing in all of your life. And we're an hour in, and there are some people walking towards us. We thought we were the only ones. And they got the wind behind them, so they're looking a little bit better. And, uh, and, and I could see a conversation taking place in front, and it was just like, I know, they're just saying how close we are right now, how close we are. We were halfway. <laughs> and at that point, it's like, well, we may as well keep going now. And, and that moment when you get into that place, and the warmth hits you, and the smell of a beef pasty, 
was under your nose and you can have a hot chocolate or a cup of tea and a slice of cake. And it was just a pleasant place to be. But God wants us to have that desire, that longing to be in his presence. To love to be in his presence. To, to, to persevere and to desire to be in his presence. And it's so rich for us. And he goes on to say, even the sparrow finds a home, verse 3, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. What did Stefan say this morning? Have you ever seen a worried bird? I, I can't read birds' facial expressions like you, Stefan, but I've seen a slightly contorted beak, but that's as far as it goes. But what he's describing is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, they don't worry about anything. Why? Because they know their Heavenly Father's got it all covered for them. And that's just the birds. And it's like, this, I don't know when this is written, but I've got a feeling this is when the temple has been built. And what the sons of Korah are seeing, they're desperate to be in the presence of God, but it was only certain people at a certain time could really enter into the presence of God. And yet there they are watching these sparrows and these swallows coming and going because their nests are in the eaves of the temple. And he's looking at these little birds with envy. The wonderful thing is birds can look at us with envy because we're free to come and go and enter into the presence of God, just like the swallows and the sparrows that the, the psalmist is seeing. He's, oh, I wish I had such free access. They just fly in and they can even build their nests there and they can even rear their young there. Well, guess what? We can do that. That's available to us now. Let's never take that for granted. What joy for those who can live in your house. We can. Always sing in your praises. We should. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessing. When we, when we were singing earlier, I love words and I love anagrams and crosswords and I'm, I'm a bit sad like that, but I love those sorts of things. And as I looked up on the screen, did you see the word despair? And underneath it was the word Praise. Or above it was the word praise. And I thought, actually, you know what? You put a D on the end of praised, praised, and you've got an anagram of despair. I was worshipping Jesus as well. I wasn't just doing word games. <laughs> but I felt the Holy Spirit say, when God is praised, despair changes. When God is praised, despair has to change. And sometimes we wait for despair to be lifted before we think, I'll start praising. Well, God says, no. As I'm praised, despair changes. And what he's describing here is a very real experience, walking through the valley of weeping. And can I just say this? If, if there's suffering, if there are things that are going on in your life, if you're struggling with sickness or with depression or with fear or with anxiety, that is not sin. You're not sinning. I know, I understand, sickness can be a result of sin. But if you're in those things and they're not caused by sin, if you're experiencing them, that is not you sinning. You're not sinning. Do not be put down by that. Don't be condemned by that. But just know this. In that place is a provision for all of us. And that place of provision is in the presence of God. And we enter into the presence of God as we worship Him. That's how we ascend the hill. With clean hands and pure hearts. And so there's no condemnation for anyone this morning. And He wants to change our despair. And that will happen when Jesus is praised talks about a heart set on pilgrimage. Other versions say, the highway to your city runs through my heart. It's a strange expression, isn't it? It's like the M1 kind of goes straight through the middle of you. 
not that the highway to God's city is London or up north. I'm just using that as an analogy. It was a bad one. But it's a sense of this, what God's purpose is, where God wants to go, that's, what, that's where my heart is aligned. What God wants. My heart is set on seeking first the kingdom. My heart is set on the city, on a hill. My heart is set on the house of God being built and established. That's what matters to me the most. In the same uh, reference in Matthew 6 that we talked about, uh, the birds being fed and cared for, and Jesus says, where's your treasure? What matters to you the most? And he finishes by saying, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. Mike said it earlier, everything that we need is in him. We can chase after other things. Well, Mike didn't say it. God said it through Mike. Everything we need is in him. Seek first the kingdom. I always remember being so challenged by Steve, Stephen Peake when he shared about being motivated in everything that he did to see God's kingdom extended there. And I thought that's a fantastic thing in, in his work life, in his family life, in his day-to-day life, and the things that he gave his time to. I still remember that word that you brought, and it, and it challenges me, and, and that's God's heart for us, that we seek first his kingdom in every area of our lives. Verse 7 to 8 says, they will continue to grow stronger. Who needs to grow stronger? Strength to strength, glory to glory. And each one of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. I am confident that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Philippians 1.6. And the thing is, it's this, it's God who starts the work. Don't for any moment think, now it's my turn to take it on. God starts it, God takes us through it, God finishes it. It's our reliance on Him, it's our reliance on Jesus Christ. God starts something, why would I think it would go any better when I start to take the reins? It'd be terrible. Absolute mess. But it says, O Lord of heaven's armies, hear my prayer, listen, O God of Jacob. Do you know what? There are many descriptions of God in the Bible. Probably one of my favorites is the Lord of hosts. Because every time I hear that, I'm awestruck. Because the word Lord, by the way, is Yahweh or Jehovah, which means his intimate covenant name. But he's, the, he's intimate and he's covenant, but he's, but he's ruler of everything. But another, word, another name for God that I really am encouraged by is God of Jacob. Does anybody know Jacob's story? With reverence, he was a nightmare. He was one of the hardest cases, I think, if you took somebody now and you met them and you met Jacob at the beginning of his life with all of his ambition and selfish desires and all the things that he had in his heart and his, his pride, you would have looked at him and you thought, well, pff, you're t- it's too late for you, mate. Too far off. But I love the fact that God is the God of Jacob because when I read about being the God of Jacob, I think, God, you're a God of grace. Because no way could Jacob have been changed. Jacob became Israel, who became God's covenant people. But he is a God of grace. Secondly, he's a God of patience. I'm so glad God is patient with us. And, this is wonderful, he's a God of transforming power. Because the Jacob you meet at the beginning is not the Israel that you meet at the end. He's transformed by the power of God. And I want to say for all of us this morning, there's grace for us. There's patience towards us. And there's transforming power for us. And we'll find those things in the presence of God. And then 9 and 10, he goes on to say, 
Oh God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you've anointed. That's what it says in the New Living Translation. But in the New American Standard, which is more of a word-for-word translation, it's, it, it renders it differently. It says, Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. And as I read that, I thought, he's talking about Jesus. Behold, O God, our shield. Who's our shield? It's him. Look upon the face of your anointed. Who's the anointed one? Who's the Messiah? It's Jesus. You know, when we come into the presence of God, God looks at us, and who does he see? His son. That's why the, that's why the psalmist is saying it. Prophetically, he's declaring something. That when I enter into the presence of God, he sees his son. He sees he's our shield. He's the anointed one. He's the one who enables us to enter into the presence of God. He's so good. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere or anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Think back to the story of Korah. Being a a transporter of the interiors wasn't good enough for him, but the sons of Korah are like, just let me stand at the gate. Just let me check people in. Just let me just, I'll just be a steward. I'm happy there. And just one day there, is better than a thousand or a lifetime anywhere else. What an incredible view of the presence of God. Yeah. The singers and musicians, if you'd come back up onto the stage, please. It says, For the Lord our God is our sun and shield. He gives us his grace and glory. Listen to that. The Lord our God is our sun and shield. He gives us his grace and glory. The Lord with will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Know that God is our source of strength today. He's our ultimate source of strength. God is our source of comfort today. God is inviting us into his presence. We've, we've spent time worshipping and we've been in his presence. We're going to come back. But I just want us to stand together, if we could, please, for a moment. And just to consider, you know, in the light of what David shared last week and the response of all of me, all of him for all of me. And I know many of us responded in the room, but the men that came forward, we want to, we want to follow that up because we believe that was a really significant moment for, for many of us and, and for, the, for the body as a whole. But right now we can make that same statement, Lord, all of him for all of me. Crown of beauty instead of ashes. That's what that means. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. That's what that means. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so Holy Spirit, we come right now and we pray and we ask that you would give us a fresh desire, a fresh longing, a fresh yearning for that knowing the presence of God among us knowing the presence of God with us. Holy Spirit, we declare you are God. We submit to you wholeheartedly right now. We say, Jesus, you're God. We submit wholeheartedly to you. We say, Heavenly Father, you're God. We submit everything to you right now. Thanks for joining us today. 
There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Instagram.